Good afternoon, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Glad to be with you. Another, I don't know, midweek here as we think about everything going on in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. And in all honesty, probably one of the more boring weeks and actually a boring series of two weeks as you go from the championship games in the National Football League to what we see right now as, you know, they try to throw the Pro Bowl in there, but it's just a, a grueling two weeks. And I'll tell you, when that second week starts as you're getting closer to the Super Bowl, it's really where you almost want to stay away from the world of sports talk and especially the football-centric shows where you're going you're gonna to send people down from the media in there to talk to players. And sure, somewhere along the lines, you're going to find a good story, maybe a feel-good story out of one of the players that, I don't know, the general public may not know a whole lot about. And because of that, it could get some positive love. But mostly, you got a series of reporters that are coming from all facets of the country. And... Man, they, they can't wait to show you something. They can't wait to come up with a story. They can't wait to bait a player on a particular team and force them to say something that maybe they're going to regret. But most importantly, force them to say something that could become a big story and give the rest of the general public and the talk show hosts something to talk about. I mean, I just wish you'd go back to when it was the championship games and then the following week was the Super Bowl. And I understand there's so many different things that are worked into it that make less sense now to play the Super Bowl the week right after the championship games. But man, I tell you, you have a very boring time. And what it kind of opens your mind up to as a sports fan is what is coming during the month of February. And I understand Golf season has started. You may get uh, you know, a couple things here and there going on with the NHL or the NBA. Of course, Anthony Davis asking to be traded. Maybe that's something that happens during the year. More attention probably goes to those other two sports. But I tell you, right now, you, you kind of get two, your two-week preview from the championship games of the NFL to the Super Bowl of what you're going to probably see during the month of February. And that's a whole lot of nothing. And I understand pitchers and catchers come back in Major League Baseball, but there's really very little going on in the world of sports. But a couple of things I wanted to hit up today, and I'm going to put a team together of players that aren't in baseball's Hall of Fame and put that up against a team of Hall of Famers. And I'm not, I'm not going to be fair about it. I'll admit, I'll tell you this, I'll be a straight shooter when it comes to being fair or not being fair. I'm not going to be fair when it comes to the team that I've put together of Hall of Famers. Because I'm going to scrape the very bottom of the barrel when it comes to the Hall of Fame. And I'm going to go after and I'm going to throw out players' names that some of the listeners and viewers may not even know are in the Hall of Fame. And I'm going to bring up their stats and I'm going to throw them at you and put up my non-Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame team. And you tell me what series of players belong in the Hall of Fame and what series of players don't. 
Now, my other point that I wanted to bring up today, and it's something that I've touched on a number of times on the show. And just a reminder, if you're interested, you want to be part of the program, send me a comment, Periscope, Facebook Live. Give the show a call if you want, 732-364-3598. I've mentioned this a number of times, talking about the difference between being devious or the word gamesmanship as it's applied to sports and what is against the rules or cheating. Because obviously players in all sports forever, in the history of competition, have looked to try to find one thing. And that's an advantage they could have over their opposition to give themselves, whether it's an individual level or it's a team sport, the best chance to compete and the best chance to win. And sometimes it's not mano y mano, my skill against your skill. That's the way we like to think of it. When we think of sports and we think of competition, we like to break it down and say, all right, well, the best of one team goes up against the best of the other team. Or if we're talking about an individual sport, the best of one individual against the best of another individual. And that's the only way, the only things that should determine whether there is an individual winner or a team winner. But it's not the way it works. Going back to way before anybody else was born, way before we were around. Players, either individual or teams, we're looking for a competitive advantage. And we're sitting here in the week coming up to the Super Bowl, and all the people that are rooting against the New England Patriots are going to say, oh, they, they cheated. They are, are not on a level of the other teams. They're trying to find something that's almost unfair. They don't deserve the wins that they get because of all this. And, and you'll find a lot of fans that are speaking a mind or in a way where it's as if stuff like this has never happened. Like it's brand new. Like we use that, you know, ending to a word, G-A-T-E. Like it's something that's never existed before. Nobody's ever cheated Nobody has ever crossed the line when it comes to the rules. Nobody has ever you know, used gamesmanship in a way where perhaps they may be going a little further and a little too far. But the word competitive advantage stands out. And I think it's a very powerful word because there, we can even forget about the world of sports for a second and think of competitive advantage as it applies to life. Everybody. No matter what it is that you do, whether you have a job, whether you don't have a job, whatever it is in life, you want the opportunity to succeed. You want the opportunity to have what's best for you, to have what's best for your family. And because of that, no matter what it is that you do, everybody is going to think of what it is that they can do to give themselves the best advantage in whatever it is that they're doing. Like I said, it could be the most minor job. It could be an unemployed person that's just looking to raise their kids. You may want to do research. You may want to figure out, all right, what works best for this situation? Where can I learn to give myself the best chance maybe to be the best parent or the best employee? And somewhere along the lines, somebody is going to go along the lines of what's called being devious. And being devious is somebody that is a, is a scenario where somebody may be looking to toe the line when it comes to rules. May want to not necessarily break the law, 
but is so you know aggressive in their pursuit of this competitive advantage that they may be willing to cross the line. And how does it apply to the world of sports? Of course, the most important thing, and regardless of what you hear now when it comes to Major League Baseball, and I'm not going to go on a tangent and I'm not going to go off the wrong way when we talk about baseball the way it's set up right now and the fact that you have 30 owners in Major League Baseball and probably about 95% of those owners care more about turning a bottom line than they do winning a World Series. Prior to this, where baseball cares more about its profits than it does winning individually, and when I say individually, I'm talking about individual teams winning the entire thing, a league that's set up where you probably only got about less than one-third of the teams that are actually competing, that are actually trying to win a World Series in 2019. But I digress. Competitive advantages have been, it's been a goal from the invention of competition. And if we're going to sit here as uh, objectors and hold it against Let's say the New England Patriots for seeing, hey, you know, we're going to see if we can learn a couple plays by the opposition by maybe sending somebody or having some sort of cameras spying on a team during their practice. You think that's, oh, it's so bad, it's so terrible. Yeah, you, you you're right to that opinion. But if you talk about players that are injecting themselves with substances that give them a better opportunity to succeed, a better opportunity, sure, to succeed individually, but just as important, the ability to succeed as a team. A solid individual, they can talk about being a good teammate or not being a good teammate, that's a different discussion, but the best out of one teammate certainly increases the chance of that team winning. But we're going to sit here like where, I don't know, like we're sitting here watching, you know, show tunes or cartoons and make it out to be about, oh, well, what's right? What's moral? What's ethical? And I think the definition of all those words could be different based off of the context of what it is that we're talking about. You talk about sports, which, by the way, the most important point that I could ever make is the fact that sports are entertainment. We make sports out to be something that should be this example for children. Sure, if there are children out there, and I'm sure there's some of them that exist in the world, that have certain talents when it comes to certain sports. So maybe they can be the next generation of star athletes that will exist. Because they're going to they're gonna be com composed of somebody, right? May not be your kids, maybe your, your neighbor's kids, could be somebody in your state, could be a series of the 50 states in the United States of America, could be a series of the, you know, almost 200 countries we got in this world, but there's some sort of semblance of the youth of tomorrow, which is going to come together and be the top athletes that we see in this country in the future. And I bet you somewhere along the lines, they're going to be competing with each other. Just like any athlete that has ever existed and has ever played a sport professionally. They compete with each other for the likes of becoming supreme and maybe making it to the big time. The best players in high school all 
or for the most part, move up to the next level, maybe play college, maybe get drafted by a major league baseball team or a pro football team. And then they move up to the different levels where you could go to, whether it's playing in college, whether it's playing in a, a minor leagues or in basketball. You could talk about the developmental leagues as they exist, minor league hockey. And it's the best of the best at each different level. And then all of a sudden you get to the top and it's the best from all over the world. And you ask yourself all the time different questions of how did they get there? How did they get to be the best of the best? Because, you know, anytime that I've done an interview with a ball player, I always like to, to make the connection between the ball player and the audience. Because that person is not superhuman. Even the best players that have ever existed in any sport, the Michael Jordans, the LeBron Jameses, the Lawrence Taylors, you know, the Barry Bonds, the Babe Ruths, are just as much of a human being as anybody that doesn't play sports on a professional level. But the question always is, and it always interests me, to say, how did that player get there? How did it go from being just like me to a superstar player or a top-of-the-world player in an individual sports? Sometimes it's by doing things that are a little bit devious, but I tell you, 100% of the time, it's about finding a competitive advantage. And sometimes a competitive advantage may border along the lines of deviousness, may border along the lines of something that could be gamesmanship or is it cheating. But the bottom line is that each individual player that's on a team or an individual player in an individual sport is gonna do everything they possibly can to have an advantage over their opponent. And we live obviously in society right now and probably for the last 20 years or so where we wanna, we wanna put that down. We wanna tell people and players that are trying to get the most out of themselves and wanna have an advantage over their opposition. We wanna tell them what they can do and what they can't do. And when it comes to the Baseball Hall of Fame, we wanna, we wanna acknowledge certain times in baseball that existed and we want to make believe the years of 1988 until now never existed. And we want to hold it against players that use performance enhancing drugs as if, as if they are so beneath anybody else in society and you the person that's making a judgment on this individual player or this series of players that have existed through the sport are so superior to that. And it baffles my mind because you that's making that judgment is in a situation where whatever it is that you do for a living, if you work, if you don't work, whatever it is, you're looking to get the most out of yourself. You're looking to succeed in whatever it is that you're going to do. And somewhere along the lines, when it comes to a competitive advantage, and a competitive advantage doesn't just apply to sports. A competitive advantage applies to any facet or any different job or series of duties that a, a human being has to do. And you want to do it the best. You're going to take some advice from people that are going to say, hey, did you try this? Let's do this a little bit differently. You're going to get better results. So you try it and you get those better results. And then you want to maybe get better results than that. You start to think about things that are along the lines of being devious. 
and maybe in a competition or a competitive world, they may go along the lines of gamesmanship. Maybe it's, you know, taking a look in your right eye, and if something is out there, if there's a sign that you could see that could give you an advantage or whatever it is that you're going to do, are you going to close your eyes because you don't think it's right? All right, if you're able to see something, take that information, process it, and use it to your, your advantage. And in a, you know, a very layman's terms, that's what the world of sports is. That's what it's about. It's not about, you know, putting, you know, two gladiators up in a ring and say, in the end, one of them is going to come out on top, mano y mano. Well, those two gladiators, as they're getting set up to compete against each other, are going to think about how are they going to treat their body to prepare? How are they going to get themselves the most stamina and to be able to outlast their opponent when it comes to, you know, this battle, this mano y mano thing? And maybe what can I do in regards to maybe psyching out my opponent? What can I do maybe to make my opponent think that I'm going to do something that either I'm going to do or I'm not going to do? Let me keep them off balance. And then what can I do to make myself as strong as possible so when I go up there and I'm competing against this other gladiator that I could kick his ass, that I could give everything that I got to maybe give myself the advantage to beat my opposition. But unfortunately, we don't look at it that way. We look at it as if winning doesn't mean anything to any individual player. And you can see in the society that we live in now, there's things being changed kind of take it away competition. And we want to reward kids now, not for succeeding, but for trying. And as that is applied to the major sports, and those kids have grown up and have become adults, the need or the desire to win and succeed is not what it was 10 years ago. And that's very unfortunate. That's probably a table discussion that we can have at different times. But the thing that exists when it comes to any sport, any, you know, living that somebody could make or anything that they could do, they want to think and use their mind and use their body to put everything out there to give themselves the best opportunity to succeed. But now we, the general public, decide that there's certain things that we say are acceptable and then we say that aren't acceptable. And I think of stealing signs. And I'll talk about that real briefly and then we'll move on to the rest of the show today. And obviously anything going on in your mind in the world of baseball sports in unified America. Once again, this is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. Stealing signs as they apply to sports. If somebody is tipping their pitches, let's say a pitcher is you know making a certain movement every time they throw a curveball. And you, being observant, is able to see that. And that pitcher continues to do that every time they're throwing a curveball. You know when a curveball is coming and you have a competitive advantage. Now, you could talk, if you want to go to the extreme with this, and say that there's no way under any circumstances should you give a team an unfair advantage. If they're doing something blatant that you're able to pick up on, then what's wrong with that? And then you want to take that to, of course, the next level. How far do you push 
where you're going over the line to using performance-enhancing drugs, to having cameras set up on the sidelines of a football practice. Where is the line to be drawn? Because my honest opinion is that if you're accepting of any form of gamesmanship or even being devious or using anything possible to gain a competitive advantage, then you should be in favor of whatever would be considered the most extreme. And that may be the use of performance-enhancing drugs. That may be the use of mirrors and cameras to unfairly tape your opposition while they're practicing while they don't think they're being filmed. Where is the line? Because once again, as it applies to the Baseball Hall of Fame, it's okay for players that may have dabbled in steroids. It's okay for maybe players that may have admitted to using steroids. Or it's, it's okay for a player in baseball that was liked but may have used steroids and it cannot be proven, but it's not okay for somebody that says that they use performance-enhancing drugs to be in its Hall of Fame. My long conclusion to this ridiculous filibuster is this. Competitive advantages have existed in a world of sports since sports have ever existed. And they always will. So if you're saying it's okay for the smallest attempt by an athlete to have a competitive advantage, you should not be surprised when an athlete goes to the extreme or that team goes to the extreme to do something that may be on the borderline of breaking the rules. Because obviously there's a difference if you're proven to break the rules, you have to deal with whatever ramifications and penalties exist. If not, it's just being devious. It's just trying to gain a competitive advantage. It's just trying, perhaps we could use the word gamesmanship. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights, granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of the show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPLA.com and JohnPLA LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I put this together today, and this is, you know, something that I think has been done a couple times. We talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame as it exists. And the fact that you could put an all-star team together of players that are not in the Hall of Fame, players that are being held out of the Hall of Fame, and maybe even players that have just been, you know, maybe enough of a case has not been made why they belong in baseball's Hall of Fame. And on the other side of it, you have a series of players that maybe because they were liked by the media, maybe because they were considered darlings in the sport, and... You know, maybe they have some sort of personality or something that sticks out to them. Or, you know, people, many different baseball people have putting good words for them over a series of years. And the people in the Veterans Committee have decided, hey, maybe they are a Hall of Famer. So you got a whole team of players that are very borderline cases at the best. And I'll start out by naming a couple player pitchers that are probably on the borderline of being Hall of Famers that absolutely are in. And they're not going to be part of my discussion. And in fact, I believe that all three of these pitchers belong in baseball's Hall of Fame. And of course, 
will include Jim Bunning, Robin Roberts, and Early Wynn. Now, Early Wynn, if you remember, kind of pushed his career a couple more years so he could get that elusive 300th win. He also lost a lot of games. Jim Bunning is known for throwing a perfect game, but also was the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to win 100 or more games in both leagues. Also, the first pitcher, or one of the first pitchers in baseball history, to have a 1,000 or more strikeouts in each one of the National and American Leagues. He had a good career. Of course, he threw a perfect game, was a dominant pitcher, was a top pitcher, but you put him amongst the likes of the best of the best, and he doesn't necessarily stand to the test of criticism. Robin Roberts, very good pitcher. If you're a Philadelphia Philly fan, you'll remember or know of the significance is how, how long he pitched and how he's going to be forever known as one of the elite arms that the Philadelphia Phillies ever had. And he does, to a certain extent, have to deal with the fact that he pitched for some very bad teams. The Phillies of the late 50s and the early 60s were not very good. And unfortunately, Robin Roberts, who was, you know, had his the best decade of his career in the 1950s, spent it pitching for a team that was not very good. Was he the best pitcher, one of the best pitchers in the game? Sure. If he was pitching for a better team, his numbers may have come out a little better. So I don't have any issue with Jim Bunning or Robin Roberts or early Wynn. They're in the Hall of Fame. That's fine. The next series of players I'm going to talk about are players that are in baseball's Hall of Fame. And then you want to wonder why for this reason. Now, I, 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 don't, I just don't think you can have two sets of standards here. I can't talk about the players on the list, on list number A, a first baseman by the name of Fred McGriff, a second baseman by the name of Lou Whitaker, a shortstop, Vern Stevens, third baseman, Pete Rose, an outfield of Joe Jackson, Barry Bonds, and Manny Ramirez, with a designated hitter of Albert Bell and a catcher of Ted Simmons, and say that these players are all not in baseball's Hall of Fame, yet a team that could consist of Tony Perez at first base, Bill Mazeroski at second, Joe Tinker at short, George Kell at third, Lloyd Wainer, Chick Hafey, and Early Coombs in its outfield left to right with a designated hitter by the name of Harold Baines is any better than the players that are left out of its Hall of Fame. And I told you, if it was for any one reason, if we wanted to take gambling as seriously as some people involved in Major League Baseball claim it is, and say because of the Black Sox scandal, because of the decision made by Pete Rose to bet on baseball when he was a manager, these players should be blacklisted and blackballed for the sport forever. But these same people that want to hold gambling at such a high standard which was started, of course, by the racist commissioner, the first commissioner in baseball, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who made sure up until his dying day that a black player would never play in Major League Baseball on the same diamond as a white player. But that's okay, right? He's in the Hall of Fame, but God forbid you ever bet on baseball. And I understand the significance of the 1919 Black Sox scandal, but it was 
by far not the first time that a World Series had ever been thrown. CC 1914 Miracle Boston Braves. But I digress. So the same people that are holding Joe Jackson and Pete Rose out of the Hall of Fame also want to say that if you injected your body with anything that gave you an unfair competitive advantage, we want to blackball you from the Hall of Fame too. So now you got gambling and also you got, you know, the use of performance enhancing drugs. Anybody that's, you know, implicated in that, we're going to keep them out of the Hall of Fame too. And and look at, you know, when you look at big moments, you want to say, hey, you know, Roger Maris broke Babe Ruth's single season home run record in 1961. That doesn't count because he did it in, I don't know, more games. Took him 162 as opposed to Ruth's 154. Asterisks. And we want to use asterisks to hold a bunch of other players out. We can talk about the fourth highest single season batting average in baseball history held by Lefty O'Dole. Well, well, he didn't do it long enough. So we're not going to acknowledge him in baseball's Hall of Fame. We're not going to put Roger Maris in the Hall of Fame because he only had a handful of really good seasons. Oh, by the way, one of them in which he hit 61 home runs, something that up until that point had never been done in baseball history. You, know, you want to talk about Albert Bell, a guy who dominated a sport for an entire decade, but he didn't do it long enough. But then you could talk about this baseball team that exists right now. Of Tony Perez, Bill Mazeroski, Joe Tinker, George Kell, Lloyd Wainer, Chick Hafey, Early Coombs, Harold Baines, and Roy Schalk. And talk about pitchers like Phil Necro and Jesse Haynes, Epa Rixey, Hoyt Wilhelm, Bruce Souter, Rube Marquardt. And, and if you, I'm not going to bore you to death by talking about all these individual names, but do me a favor. If any of those names stand out to you and you wonder why I'm talking about them in a negative tone, look up their career stats. Listen to some st some discussion about them. The fact that they were probably all good players. They were all success stories. They were all players that contributed in a positive way to the game. And I bet you a lot of them were liked a lot more than some of the other players that happened to have better careers. What outfield do you want? Lloyd Wainer, Chick Hafey, and Early Coombs? Or Joe Jackson, Barry Bonds, and Manny Ramirez? You think about Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling and Billy Wagner and Dan Quisenberry. And I don't think Dan Quisenberry is getting enough respect. He had a career that was just as good as Bruce Suter's. He had a career that was just as good as Lee Smith's. He doesn't get any Hall consideration. Billy Wagner's right up there in a generation of Trevor Hoffman. And Trevor Hoffman may have had more saves, but Wagner was probably more dominant. Probably more of a, I don't know, a feared competitor when it came to the batters coming up to the plate. And the thing that I'll continue to talk about until my dying day is the fact that baseball needs to get its, you know what, straightened out when it comes to its Hall of Fame. You got guys like Rick Farrell, Rabbit Marinville, Red Shandies, Dave Bancroft, John Montgomery Ward. And John Montgomery Ward is an interesting case because you can talk about three different things that he did. 
He didn't do it at the level of Babe Ruth, but he was a successful pitcher. The second pitcher in baseball history to throw a perfect game. Was a very good infielder as a shortstop. But once again, he didn't pitch like Babe Ruth, he didn't hit like Babe Ruth, but he was very good at both. Was a successful manager, was a pioneer. He invented the Players League, which took place in 1890. The first effort for players to be treated fairly Something that hadn't happened before and obviously would not happen for another series of what? You're talking about 80-something years before the reserve clause was lifted in regards to Major League Baseball. So John Montgomery Ward is a pioneer. He may be a Hall of Famer, but as a player, he certainly falls short. And I think you could take, and it's no disrespect meant to somebody living like a Tony Perez or a Bill Mazeroski or even a Harold Baines, who will get inducted this summertime. Harold Baines had a good career. And I don't think the fact of the negligence that exists when it comes to the baseball writers and the Veterans Committee, and in all honesty, the general public, I don't think that should be held against a guy like Harold Baines. People that are out in the media blasting Harold Baines, calling him this, calling him that. You're basically taking your frustration on what hasn't been right about baseball for a while and taking it out on a guy who is a pretty nice man, a guy who had a good career. And you could say that it probably was not worthy of being in a Hall of Fame based where his numbers finish out. But I bet you all of us would have a lot less of an issue of Harold Baines being inducted in baseball's Hall of Fame this year if the other players that were deserving were also in. But you could talk about the likes of a Mariano Rivera and a Roy Holiday and a Mike Messina and an Edgar Martinez and throw them in there with Lee Smith and Harold Baines. And talk about how in whatever, the third week of July in Cooperstown, it's going to be a very special moment and a very special day for those players, those players' families and fans of the teams and the individual players that are getting in. But once again, you could talk about the only sport that exists amongst the four major sports that has the equivalent of its all-time hit leader, its all-time home run leader, the players with the third and fourth highest batting average in the history of the sport, the player that has won the most MVPs, the player that has won the most Cy Youngs, one of only three pitchers in baseball history to have over 4,000 strikeouts. The fourth, the four players that have the highest single season home run totals in the history of the sport, all not in its respective Hall of Fame. And I may come out like being a little bit of a jerk when I'm blasting the likes of Tony Perez and Bill Mazeroski and Joe Tinker and George Kell and Lloyd Wainer and Chick Hafey and Early Coombs and Harold Baines and Ray Schalk and Rick Farrell and Rabbit Marinville and Dave Bancroft and Red Shandies and John Montgomery Ward and Phil Negro and Jesse Haynes and Bruce Souter and Epa Rixie and Hoyt Wilhelm and Rude Marquard. I'm down on all these players, not because of anything that they did, 
but because there is a sport that exists out there and there's a governing body of Major League Baseball that thinks that these are Hall of Famers and this other list of players, which includes the likes of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Pete Rose and Shoeless Joe Jackson and Sammy Sosa and Manny Ramirez and Mark McGuire and Kurt Schilling and Bern Stevens are not Hall of Famers. It seems like a little bit of a hypocrisy to me because you want to anoint the best of the best. Yet you got a list of players that do not belong in the Hall of Fame based off of their merits. And you've got a list of players who above and beyond belong in baseball's Hall of Fame based off of their own merits. Not in. How does that make any sense? This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPaley.com. If you want to listen back to anything I talked about today, you can check out my YouTube channel. Also download podcasts on either iTunes or Google Play. We'll be back with you later on in the week. A little bit of a recap of the show today. Competitive advantage, not just as it applies to the world of sports, but as it applies to any profession that you have. No matter what it is you do, you want to be able to perform at your best. Whatever it is that you do, you want to try to use anything that you can to your advantage. Whether it's over your opponent, whether it's just having the knowledge to be able to do something at a better level than you could yesterday. But the bottom line is competitive advantages have existed in the world since its inception. You know, you could talk about being devious. You could talk about gamesmanship, different things that you do along the lines of competition where you may try to get a little bit of an advantage over your opponent. So where does that borderline, when we talk about crossing the line and maybe doing something that's against the rules of the sport or against the law? Because we could say that things such as stealing signs could be okay if they're not breaking the rules. And where is the line that should be drawn to say what is the definition of a rule being broken? What's the difference between deviousness, just trying to get an advantage, over breaking the rules of the game. I think it's an interesting discussion to have. The Hall of Exclusion as it exists in Major League Baseball, you could talk about what is right and how players that have done things that have not been done before in its sport are excluded from its Hall of Fame, but you have a whole list of players that probably are not very deserving when it comes to the merits of what they did in their careers. And it's not their fault. It's nothing that they did wrong. They did the best of what they could do over the course of the careers that they had. But they have the honor, and players that have done a lot more are not given that same honor, which should have been deserved. Once again, this is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Glad to be with you. We'll do another show as we get ready for the Super Bowl coming up. So we'll probably be with you maybe Thursday or Friday. So God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.